We just sang, I believe in God our Father. I believe in Christ the Son. I believe in the Holy Spirit. Our God is three in one. We just sang it. My question is, did we mean it when we sang it? Yes? Yeah. Yeah, we just sang about the Trinity. We believe in the Trinity. You know, that that opening piece, the Star-Spangled Banner piece, the narrator noted at the very beginning how we can sing a song and give almost no thought to what we are singing sometimes, and we just need to be helped to remember what it is that we're singing, even something like the Star-Spangled Banner. Church family, we can sometimes say to someone, I go to Idlewild Bible Church. I go to Idlewild Bible Church. But do we realize what we are saying when we say that? I go to Idlewild Bible Church. Church. Do we grasp what we are saying when, I, when we say, I go to church. It rolls off the tongue easily, almost without thought. I go to church. I'd like to ask you to think about that with me just a little bit this morning. What it is that we're really saying when we say that. I go to church. I go to Idlewild Bible Church or wherever church is for you. Matthew chapter 16, church family, let's head that direction in your Bible. If you need a Bible this morning, just raise your hand and and we'll make sure Don can put a a Bible in your hand this morning if you need one. Um, As well, retrieve that note page from your bulletin. That will be helpful along the way. Matthew chapter 16, first book of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Matthew 16. Now, though it's been uh, a few years ago now, I can still easily recall a conversation that I had over lunch with a fellow that I went to seminary with back in the 19, well, a long time ago. <laughs> I went to seminary with this, with this guy, and, uh, and we had not seen or talked to one another for several years, in fact, decades, quite frankly. And so we managed to reconnect and we were catching up and of, of course he was interested in hearing about the church that I was pastoring and and he was really intrigued by the fact that at that time I had been uh, just a little over 30 years here at the same church at Idaho Bible and so he uh, had made several changes in his pastoring uh, journey from when he started out of seminary as well been to several different churches and was now in full-time vocational ministry, but he was no longer pastoring a church. And so he asked me the question, he says, how do you stay so long at the same church? How do you do that? And I explained to him that there's just enough turnover here in the community of Idlewild that the congregation doesn't have enough time to get tired of me. They, they move on, and therein lies the secret of my longevity. I get to stay, and they move. <laughs> and, and I said that, of course, tongue-in-cheek with him. But we, we did laugh, and then he said, so, so tell me about this church that you pastor. And I began by saying, 
We're just a little church in a little mountain town doing life with Jesus till he comes. That's what I said. We're just a little church in a little mountain town doing life with Jesus until he comes. And then he said, so, so tell me, what does that mean you do life with Jesus? Well, that was the perfect setup for me because then I can say, well, that, that word life, that, that word life is actually an acronym. It stands for, for loving God together and investing in each other and finding places to serve and then enlarging God's kingdom with his enabling help. We do life at IBC. It's what we do. And then I interrogated him about his journey and his latest ministry. And we had a great lunch and, and then parted company. But as I later reflected on our conversation, I remembered my words. We're just a little church in a little town doing life with Jesus till he comes. We're just a little church. That phrase just sort of hung in the air for me. The more I thought about it, the more uncomfortable I became with what I had said, the more convicted I became for having said that. I was disappointed that I had said that. Not that my friend reacted to the statement at all, because he didn't. I, but I regretted having said, IBC is just a little church. I wasn't regretting the word little because we are a small church in a small mountain town. The reason I was convicted was because as I repeated the words, I knew that the Lord Jesus would never, ever have used the word just. He would never have said Idlewild Bible Church is just a little church in a little town. At the top of your note page, you will see a picture of a little church. And you know this little church well. It stands in stark contrast, doesn't it, to the, to the multi-million dollar megachurches of our day. Just a little church, question mark. And the question mark is designed to expose the error of the statement. Is that true? Just a little church? Is that true? Church family, on that day over lunch, I forgot something. I did not choose my words well. I wish I could take that statement back. I, I didn't represent Idlewild Bible Church accurately she is not just a little church sometimes we can live with something so closely and for so long that we forget what we are really a part of we can sing a song for example and not be aware of the words that we're singing we just kind of go through the motions we can forget in the same way we can forget that that we are part of something truly extraordinary here at Idlewell Bible Church. 
something supernatural, something infinitely bigger than ourselves, bigger than our point in time, bigger than our location on a map. We can forget that. That day with my friend, I forgot that. Just a little church. That doesn't begin to capture the truth of who and what Idlewild Bible Church really is and what you and I are a part of. I forgot that. And perhaps you do too, sometimes. For just a few moments, let's remember who we really are. Who we really are. And if by doing so, your love for, your appreciation for your church, this church, your church home, Idaho Bible Church, if that, if that gets affirmed, or if maybe you're visiting us today and, and uh, you have a church home that, that, that's not IBC, but you have a church home, maybe just by spending time together here in this way and reflecting upon what the church really is all about, what it means, and you're affirmed in that, well, it's going to be a good morning for us. It will be good time, time well spent. IBC is much more than just a little church, isn't it? But why? Why? Why is she much more than just a little church? On your note page, for starters, Idlewild Bible Church is more than just a little church because she is part of, of the one and only earthly building project that Jesus ever committed himself to. She is part of Jesus' one and only earthly building project. Just a little church? I don't think so. With all that Jesus could have done, might have done in this world, has the power to do, He, by his own admission, will only build one thing on this earth, and that is his church. Your Bible is open now to Matthew chapter 16. Let's take a closer look. And and let me just give you a little bit of background since I'm dropping you into this. You had no idea where we were going this morning. Jesus is with his little band of disciples up in the hill country of northern Israel, beautiful location, essentially where the the waters spill off of Mount Hermon and they converge together and they become the Jordan River. And in New Testament times, there was a, there was a rather thriving community at the headwaters of, of the Jordan River, a, a town called Caesarea Philippi. Uh, it's just ancient ruins today, but if you go on a tour of Israel, you will definitely go to Caesarea Philippi and you will see this location because it's, it's, just, it's part of the story of Jesus. So we pick it up at verse 13 of chapter 16. And Jesus has gone up to give his disciples a little bit of a break. They've been working hard, ministering hard, and so he kind of takes them on a little mini vacation, and that's why they're up in Caesarea Philippi. So as they're kind of relaxing, maybe by by the headwaters of the Jordan, Jesus says, it says, Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, well, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. There was a lot of speculation just circulating around as to who, 
who Jesus was on the part of people they, they didn't really know. Like they were trying to figure him out. So who do people think I am? What are they saying about me? And the disciples say, well, some think that you are the reincarnated John the Baptist. Herod had recently beheaded John, and, and so some think that you've come back to life, but you're John the Baptist reincarnated. Or, or maybe you're one of the other Old Testament prophets who has come back to life. Verse 15, he said to them, but, but who do you say that I am? What a great question. It's the question of the age, isn't it? Who do you say that I am? And that is when Peter, whom we've spent a lot of time with now over the last several months, he steps forward and he makes a, a timeless confession. And Peter makes this unrivaled, impossible to improve upon declaration concerning Jesus in verse 16. Speaking for all the rest of the disciples, he's their mouthpiece. He says this. Jesus asks, who do you you say that I am? And he says, you are the Christ. You're the son of the living God. What Peter was saying was that Jesus was the Messiah. That's what he was saying. God's promised, predicted, long-awaited, spiritual deliverer, the one who was fully God and fully man, priest, king, prophet, savior. That's who you are. That's who you are, Jesus. Jesus answers him, verse 17, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, For flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. In other words, Peter, you you didn't come up with that idea on your own. God in heaven, my heavenly Father, opened the eyes of your heart and the eyes of your mind to recognize and understand who I really am. God did that for you. And just as a sidebar, church family... That, that is true of you and me today, isn't it? The only way that any of us ever comes to a true understanding of who Jesus Christ really is is if God by his spirit opens our sin-blinded eyes and quickens our sin-deadened hearts. Yeah? That's the only way. God has to do that by his spirit. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 17 and 18, if you need a proof text for that. And then Jesus says this. And I tell you, verse 18, Peter, on this rock, upon this rock, this confession, this declaration, this proclamation that you just made about me, not upon you, Peter, you're not the rock, not on you, but upon this truth that you've just declared about me, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. I will build my church. I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. On this rock, I will build my church. I will build my church. Jesus never said he would build anything else. Not a college, not a seminary, not a radio ministry, not a mission organization or anything else. 
But he says, I will build my church. Church family, this is such an incredible statement from Jesus. It's a reminder to us that that this church does not exist by the will of some visionary folks back in the mid-70s who said, let's put a church in Idlewild. It doesn't exist because of of a pastor who's been around for a a long time. It doesn't exist because of the elders or the deacons or scores and scores of faithful, faithful people who have served throughout the years. IBC exists because the master builder of the universe said that a little town in Southern California's mountains needs this church. That's why we're here. Now, we're not the only one in town, but he wanted this one that you're a part of. He wanted this one here. I will build my church. And part of it's going to be in Idlewild. Idlewild Bible Church is part of this promise from Jesus. He was thinking about us that day in Matthew 16. We exist because he said, I will build. So let's let's enlarge upon Jesus' word picture here in Matthew just a little bit more. I'll ask you to help do that with me by keeping a finger tucked in Matthew. And then if you'll run to the right in your Bible uh, and, and go all the way over to the book of Ephesians. The letter to the Ephesian church. Paul writes this letter to a church family very much like our church family. And in chapter 2 of the book of Ephesians, we get a little bit more. It's quite possible that Paul might even have been thinking of Jesus' words in Matthew 16 when Holy Spirit inspired. He likens the church to a building in chapter 2, starting in verse 19. The Holy Spirit says through Paul's pen, So then, you're no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the what? The household of God. You're members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone or the keystone. Jesus not only promises to build the church This verse tells us that he places himself at the very center of the church. The whole thing is defined by him. It rests upon him. He causes the church to be built on the written word of God, the Old and New Testament, the apostles and prophets, a solid fixed never to move, never to be enlarged upon foundation with Jesus at the center. He's the cornerstone. Verse 21. In whom... The whole structure, the whole building being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him also you are being built together into a dwelling place for God by his spirit. (laughs) Man, linger on that for just a moment. IBC is not this building. It's not this piece of ground, as lovely as it is. 
It's, it's not an address on a map. IBC is a spiritual building. It is a spiritual structure. It is a dwelling made not of wood and nails and windows and paint, but made of our collective lives in which God dwells by virtue of his spirit being inside of us and our faith in the Lord Jesus. This is the foundation upon which this this thing we call Idlewild Bible Church is built. He brings it together as a living thing, a holy thing. God's dwelling place on earth, according to verse 22. God's dwelling place on earth. Just a little church? Just a little church? Are you kidding me? Don't miss noticing here in verse 22 as well that we are a work that is still in progress. Jesus is still building his church. Verse 22, we are being built. Don't want to miss that. Jesus' church of which we're a part is still under construction. Jesus isn't finished with us yet. And, you know, if the statistics are correct, and I... I researched this this week. 83,000 people worldwide are going to be added to Jesus' church today. Today. And then tomorrow, there'll be another 83,000 people around the world who are going to come to faith in Jesus and be added to his church because he's building his church. And the day after that, 83,000 more around the world, more than 30 million new believers in the Lord Jesus this year, if the statistics hold. IBC is a custom-made, divinely ordained, not made with human hands, creation of the living Lord Jesus. Part of the only thing on earth that Jesus said he would ever build. Just a little church? I don't think so. No way. Just a little church? And let's remember this as well about Idlewild Bible Church as we think about these things. On your note page near the bottom... Jesus' church is going to what? It's going to win. Can you say that with a little more conviction? (laughs) Jesus' church is going to win. Yes. And IBC is on the winning side. We prevail, Jesus says. We're part of of, of the, the victorious church of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you go back to Matthew chapter 16 with me, if we look one more time at verse 18, Jesus says, Peter, upon your confession of my true identity as the Christ, as the Messiah, God's promised spiritual deliverer, deliver i will build my church but jesus doesn't stop there he continues by saying i will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against that church man this is powerful confident assertive triumphant but what is jesus actually saying the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church I build. What is Jesus really saying? Well, 
The gates of hell, maybe your version actually says Hades. That's the Jewish expression for death. When the disciples heard Jesus say this, they instantly thought death. Jesus was saying, I will build my church and not even death can stop me or my church from prevailing. It's an awesome statement about the power that is behind what Jesus is telling us. Death was Satan's most powerful weapon. Hebrews chapter 2 verse 14 refers to Satan as the one who had the power of death. And he used that power to keep people in fear and bondage all of their lives. He tried to use that power of death to, to kill Jesus and keep him dead. He thought that if he could kill the builder of the church, well, then he would kill the church. But the builder proved to be too much. Amen. Amen. Jesus broke the grip of sin that results in death. He did that at the cross. And then he destroyed the power of sin on resurrection morning at the empty tomb. The cross and the resurrection. He liberated from Satan's rule all who put their faith in him. What he's done on the cross for us and his resurrection from the dead. In point of truth, Jesus prevails against the gates of hell and tears them down. Sin and death no longer hold the upper hand. Jesus died and he rose again. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 54 to 57. I'm going to put them on the screen here. I was wondering, church family, would you be willing to read these verses out loud with me? Just read them as a congregation together. Yeah? You good? All right, let's give it a go. Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And we say, Amen and Amen. Even the power of death, the strongest weapon Satan has, cannot prevent or ultimately triumph over Jesus' church because he's built it. He's built it. Though Jesus delivered a crushing blow to Satan by his cross and his resurrection, Jesus inflicted a fatal wound to Satan that day on the cross and at the empty tomb. That has not kept Satan from trying to wipe the church off the face of the world. Countless saints whose names are known only to God now have died as martyrs since the church began. And even to this day, there are those who are still dying. Every day, dying for the cause of Jesus. As many as 8,000 are known to perish every year according to the ministry of Voice of the Martyrs. They keep track of such things. People dying simply because they love Jesus. And yet the most powerful weapon that Satan has, death, cannot stamp out the church. And any student of church history will tell you that it is the blood of the martyrs that becomes nothing less than the seedbed from which grows up a whole new generation of the church. Hell cannot prevail. One is killed. Two rise up, kill two, and there's four.
kill four when there's eight. This is why Jesus does not hesitate even on the night before he is crucified with the shadow of the cross looming large in front of him. He does not hesitate to say in John 16 verse 33, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In this world you're going to have tribulation. But take heart. I have what, church? I have overcome the world. And I would say, is this not Matthew 16, 18, just worded a little bit differently? Jesus says, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I have overcome the world. He's saying the same thing. Fellow follower of Jesus, you and I who are living for him, alive because of him, and attend Idlewild Bible Church. We are part, we are part of something that is eternal, something that cannot be defeated. It cannot be eliminated. It cannot be removed or taken away. We are truly able to say that we are the undefeated. Do you believe that? Not because of anything in ourselves. Not because of anything that we have done, but because of what Jesus has done. This is true. We are the undefeated today. What does that do for your soul? I'm part of this. You're part of this. And Jesus' church, of which IBC is a part, will have a visible presence and a testimony in the world until he comes. That's who we really are today. The undefeated, eternal masterwork of the Son of God. Just a little church? Are you kidding me? Why did I ever say that? And then if you flip your note page over, let's remember this. The church, which includes IBC, is the most precious possession God has on earth. Oh, what a truth. Someone might ask, well, how do you know that the church is the most precious thing on the earth? How do you know that? Well, we know that because the highest price ever paid for anything in the history of the world was paid for the church, right? It has to be the most precious thing. The greatest price ever paid was paid for it. You're still in Matthew 16 at this moment. Let me ask you, if you would, please leave Matthew now, travel to the right, stay in the book of Matthew, though, and find chapter 26. Matthew chapter 26. Jesus is now in the Garden of Gethsemane. Judas and the mob that is accompanying him is on the way to arrest Jesus and Judas will soon betray Jesus with a kiss. We know all of that. We pick up the narrative, though, at verse 36, chapter 26. Then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, Sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, that would be James and John, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. And then he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And going a little farther, he fell on his face and he prayed, saying, 
My father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. That was Jesus' prayer. And he came to his disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, So could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, for the second time, he went away and he prayed, My father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. And then in verse 44, he went away a third time and said the same words again. In this incredibly poignant moment, Jesus asks his father if avoiding the cross were possible within the scope of the father's redemptive purpose. Was there, was there another way to deliver humanity from sin's penalty, from an eternal never-ending hell? Was, was there another way? Could the cup be avoided? The cup. Such a tiny word, three letters long, subtly deceptive in terms of what it represents. It's a small word, and yet for Jesus, that word cup, it represents all of the wrath, all of the fury, all of the righteous right judgment of holy God poured out against all of the sin of mankind through all of its history from Adam up to the very end, whenever that may be. That cup represents all of that. God was asking his son to take that cup and to drink its contents to the last drop. Asking his son to receive it undiluted, to become sin for us, 2 Corinthians 5.21 says. And then absorb this judgment of God against that sin in himself on the cross so that you and I would not have to do that. The magnitude of suffering, the horror of that cup represents something you and I can never fully comprehend. We'll never understand it. But as always for Jesus, the driving force behind his determination to become the sacrifice of God for the sins of the world was the Father's will. The Father willed it. Jesus says, I will do it. I'll drink the cup because the Father wills it. Brother, sister, the church, and I don't want a Bible church, the church becomes God's most precious possession on this earth because he paid the ultimate price to have her, to have us. His son's life, his son's blood poured out as a sin covering. That was the atonement price. That was the Father's plan. Our Heavenly Father values the church more than anything else on this earth because he paid the highest price for it. Just a little church? No way. No way. Which is why scripture is not shy about reminding us of this 
truth. On your note page, notice Acts chapter 20, verse 28. Paul's writing the, the church leaders at the church in Ephesus. And here's what he says to them. He says, keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. Oh, if those words are not underlined in your Bible, brother, sister, they should be. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. Do not miss this, this, this detail. So intimate is the unity that exists between God the Father and the Lord Jesus that Paul can speak of Jesus' death on the cross as the shedding of the blood of God the Father, who is spirit and who has no blood, literally speaking. But the Father and the Son are one, aren't they? We just sang about the Trinity, right? Jesus bled. God bought Together, both paid the highest price ever paid for anything. Just a little church? No. And can we read aloud together that next passage, 1 Peter 1, 18, 19, where Peter, who had trouble staying awake that terrible night in the garden, he later writes one of the most amazing statements about Jesus and his, his, his life and what he did. In these two verses. Let's read them aloud together, can we? For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. Amen and amen. So valued is the church by God. So precious is Idlewild Bible Church to him that nothing, nothing, not even the sinless precious blood of Jesus would be spared so that he could have us. Just a little church. Not to God. Not to God. Oh, IBC family, this is who we really are. Right now, this moment, this is who we are. We're Jesus' one and only building project on earth. There isn't another. This is it. We're part of that. A spiritual building made of souls resting on a foundation that cannot be moved. Jesus at the very center of that. Built also on the word of God with 83,000 new professors of faith in the Lord Jesus being added every single day. Jesus is building. And we're part of that. We cannot be defeated. We cannot be destroyed. We cannot be wiped out or removed or taken away. We're here to stay. Why? Because the gates of hell cannot prevail against Jesus' church. We share in Jesus' victory, secured at the cross and sealed for eternity by the resurrection. We cannot be overcome because he has overcome. And how infinitely precious we are to the Trinity. IBC, bought with the sinless blood of the risen God-man, more valuable to God than anything else in the universe.
the universe. The universe. Just a little church? Not to God. Not to God. And hopefully not to us ever again. Amen? Let's pray.